0: With COVID-19, we all thought this podcast would be shut down. We were all wrong. This is Above the Fold and below your expectations.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Above the Fold with Jeff and Francis, where we talk all things digital marketing and anything else that kind of enters our our wee little brains. Um, Jeff, it's been a little bit. How are you? And I think you're in Barcelona. Again, you're traveling, you're not in the States anymore. How is Barcelona treating you? Just got here last week, arrived last Tuesday. Um,
2: it's great, it's a complete a complete departure from what I'm used to, I'm kind of like a morning person. They're not morning people here, <laughs> not at all. I mean, uh, I'm working, first off, I'm, I'm working American hours, right? And second off, I probably wouldn't even be able to get into coffee shops until nine ten o'clock anyways. So this new lifestyle means waking up at 9 a.m. feels like a very early day to me. (laughs) And then, you know, working until late in the night and then going out and getting dinner until like midnight or so. Um, So it's I thought I was going to hate it. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it was going to be horrible. (laughs) I thought it was going to be like uh, I was not going to adapt well to it at all. Uh, But it turns out like it's kind of nice. You just like you ease into the morning. You know, you're not rushing to work. You can work out. You can uh, go grab a cup of coffee and just ponder life <laughs> as one does getting a cup of coffee and then start your day. So uh, it's been awesome. The lifestyle is completely different, but it's been awesome.
1: I'll, I'll be honest, pre-kids, that was kind of my life. Like, I would start work at nine and then do stuff throughout the night because you I just had the you time. You had kids.
2: I saw you roll into the office around 9.30 regularly.
1: You I was me? still up around like 8.45, 9 to get into the office. Like sure, that, was the, that was me easing into the day, man.
2: <laughs> we have a guest on, and you're <laughs> lying already. How dare
1: you? How yeah. dare you? Yeah. Um, which is always important. It's good we have guests, because otherwise Jeff and I would just argue with each other for 45 minutes.
2: Shirt. He shirt. <laughs> Yvonne, he had a corduroy tie. <laughs> I mean...
1: I love the corduroy tie. Paraly- this was what? Oh, this was 2010, 2010, 2011. I don't care. I will never apologize was, for that tie. There was no period when a corduroy tie was cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, without further ado, let's bring our guest on. Her name is Yvonne Evenescu, um, and we're always happy to have guests. Uh, very excited to talk to Yvonne. Um, for her experience in branding, and she also has a podcast, which we'll just jump into. But um, Yvonne, give us, um, give us the 411 on you. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited about our chat. So a little bit about me. I'm actually Canadian, but I live in Portugal. So, you know, I escaped the cold winter of Canada to... Uh, Settle down in Portugal, you know. I need the beach, I need the sun, I need the, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that's why, you know, I also started a, a fashion brand, a beachwear kind of brand, um, because I've always absolutely loved the ocean. And so I'm the founder of Now in Rio Swim, it's an ethical and sustainable swimwear company. Uh, it's all locally made here in Portugal. And um, one of the things that actually you mentioned my brand. Uh, my podcast, actually, Uh, when I was building my brand, you know, I come from marketing, I've done marketing all my life. And then when I was actually building a brand, I was like, oh my gosh, well, marketing and branding, although they are kind of seen as the same thing, are two very different things. And even though I was, you know, like I was working a lot in marketing, when I started to build my brand, I was kind of lost. And I said, well, how do I build a brand? What are like, what is brand strategy? what are brand foundations? How do you do that? Like, what is all of this? And so because I also work, I I do many things. I also kind of work as a content and marketing strategist, strategist for Spreaker, which is a podcast hosting company. And I was working in podcasting and I was like, hey, why don't I, why don't I start a podcast? Why don't I talk about the whole process of building a brand and what does that mean? And so, you know, uh, the Branding Lab podcast kind of started off and then that was kind of helping me also build my brand at the same same time because i was talking to brand strategists and i was talking to people and it really helped me create now in rio swim and so yeah so that's a little bit about me and like uh, my podcast and also my my brand that i just started it actually just launched in april so it's very very new that's really Congrats.
1: very Thank exciting <laughs> Um, so in, in general, how do you, uh, let's start with the podcast. How do you enjoy, how do you like podcasting so far?
0: I actually really love podcasting. I didn't even think of starting a podcast before I got into, you know, the podcasting industry and I started enjoying it more and more. I actually wasn't even really a big podcast listener before I started working for Spreaker to tell you the truth. Um, So but I got into and I started loving it and I really love talking uh, to other people and and really getting into because my podcast is a little bit more workshop style. And I think that's what's really nice about it is really understanding and talking to people and getting tips and tricks. And I really enjoyed it. And I still enjoy it, actually.
2: So we attempted to do that. We (laughs) we thought we were going to do a workshop style podcast too, um, where we teach people certain things, we we pick a theme. Yeah. Um and you actually asked me prior to going on live here today what we're going to talk about. And usually the answer is I don't know. <laughs> because we don't we 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 don't. We we've started with uh, an outline and almost almost scripted what we're gonna talk about. We thought we're gonna educate people and we're gonna talk it through certain topics. And um it doesn't work for the two of us. This works really well for some people. I'm sure it works very well for you. Um, but we are naturally very tangential. And we <laughs> made it th- We made it through maybe like 5% course material, 95% just bullshitting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. So it- at
2: least somebody's doing it right because we're not. <laughs>
0: The thing is that I don't even kind of plan out my podcasts either. I think what I really like from my guests is that I just want them to be real and transparent and just tell me, you know, things that they've done and implemented within their business. And like actual step by step, like if I talk to a brand strategist, for example, I'll ask them, so when you sit down with a brand, like what are the questions that you ask them? What does the process look like? I ask them to give me step by step um, examples. You know, I've also talked to businesses and brands and I ask them, you know, when you started, how much money did you invest? Um, Where did that money go? And, you know, I really kind of want to get to those answers. and, And I ask those questions because people want to know that, you know, I think, one of the big problems that I actually talked about in my recent podcast episode um, is that everyone seems to talk about successes and triumphs, but no one talks about like how hard it is to actually build a business and a brand and like what needs to be done. And I want people to be more transparent and talk about that because I think it's super important.
2: I couldn't agree That's a good with point. Because, yeah. I mean, as, as, a, as a marketer, for Brafton. I, I'm the CMO for Brafton, and what's underneath that title is probably 90% failure and 10% success. It's just testing so many things that usually don't work to figure out what does work. So those stories, I think, are a little bit more revealing, and they're actually kind of makes you a little bit more vulnerable and, and, and relatable, I, in my opinion.
1: I wanted, it's so funny because I wanted to bring this up anyway, but when I was going through the Branding Lab um, episodes, um, the one that I stopped immediately on was the one, um, Yvonne, when you talked about the five mistakes, you know, the five mistakes that you personally went through when you were trying to build this up. And you admitted, obviously there's more than five. Yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) um, you wanted, you wanted to focus, just whittle it down. Let's just focus on five for now. And you talking about how it want, how you wanted your guests to be transparent and, and be honest and have um, an authentic conversation. I thought that was really cool that you did it for yourself um, in the sense of this is what happened to me um, for you. And that was that seemed like it was pretty early on in yeah. the podcast. Um, how did that feel? And at that point, was it was that kind of like a, a point where the podcast started to veer on its own and it, it, it you know, got a different life? Or how did that episode feel for you?
0: So I think one of the reasons I started my little mini series, which was behind the brand, it's a series where I talk about my personal experiences launching the Now in Rio Swim. And it's just me talking. And one of the reasons I did this was because a lot of people, when they talk about their experiences of building a brand or a business, they've already done all of the baby steps or the initial steps, and they're already five years in and they talk about their experiences from day one but I don't think that they remember maybe that well how hard it was at the beginning. Um, And they maybe romanticize it a little bit or they don't remember like what really helped them on their their journey. And so I thought that really going and talking about every step of the journey um, from the beginning and talking very transparently and open about everything will help. Because I think one of the things that really kind of made me question everything is when I started, even before I launched my brand, I started looking on TikTok and Instagram. And now every day, like everyone's talking about how like their businesses blew up and how they're doing seven figure launches or six figure launches or whatever. And, you know, I kind of, had this idea that, oh, it's going to be so easy. Like, look at how business is now. Like, everyone's exploding and blowing up, and my business is going to be like that too. And I'm a marketer, and I know, like, I don't know why, but I got sucked into it. And it didn't happen that way. And I think a lot of people, you know, are struggling, and I think it's very important to talk about the, the struggle and and say that it's okay and you'll get there, you know? So I, I that's kind of what I really wanted to do and what I continued to do with Behind the Brand. The the series.
1: <laughs> How hard was it for you to sort of take off the marketing hat and then try to put on the branding one? Because as we all have experienced in marketing here, that must have been frustrating. Because on that end, you know, we always say this to the clients: you know, oh, what is your brand story, and you know, where is your brief, and what do you want to say, and blah blah blah. But then suddenly when those questions are turned on to you, I mean, I mean, just from listening to some of the episodes, it sounded like that was the moment of like, oh, crap, this is way harder than I, than I ever imagined. So how was it taking off that one hat and putting on the other?
0: It was really hard, I have to say, because at the same time, I think it's different when you're doing it for someone else than when you're doing it to your like with your own brand and your own business. Um It's so much, you get so involved in it, you know, like when you're marketing or where you're helping a client, it's easy to become detached. It's easy to, you know, kind of see it from the outside, but when you're actually in it and doing all of it, it was really hard to be able to say like, okay, there's a marketing side and then there's the branding side. And how do I develop the branding side? And it gets really lonely and you like doubt yourself a lot because you're just kind of by yourself and you're thinking everything by yourself. And you're like, well, does it, does this make sense? I mean, it makes sense to me, but does it, does it make sense to other people? And then you question yourself. I mean, it's, it's a horror, it's a horrible yet beautiful experience, but you question yourself a lot during that journey. I have to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can, I can absolutely imagine. Um, I went from being on client side and now I'm in house. So I kind of have that same sort of mentality of, it makes sense to me, but outside of my little wall here. Does it, is it resonating at all? Um, and you still live with that fear, you know, like, is this working? Um, for you, how, how did you get out of that sort of dark place? How did you, (laughs) how did you find some light? How did you, how were you able to uh, maneuver around that?
0: Well, I'm, I think I still am in it, but I, I actually work with a, a graphic designer who really helped me. She did my logo and she did my colors And she's absolutely great because I get to really bounce ideas off of her. I think the problem... The problem always is that you need to have someone that kind of is outside of the picture who also kind of understands where you're going, where you can have discussions with them, bounce ideas, thoughts. And she was great because she was there from the beginning. She did my logo. She did my colors. So she kind of understood already the idea of where I wanted to go with it. And we talk a lot. So, I mean, obviously she does the graphic design, but we do weekly meetings. We talk a lot about ideas and thoughts. Um, I bounce a lot of ideas off of her. But it's always like, I think you're always going to question it. I think every single brand, and it's also like a question of budget, right? Because if you have amazing ideas and you have like all these, and that's one of the things that I said in the five biggest mistakes is that a lot of the times we see brands that are like Nike or like Apple and we're like, oh my gosh, their branding is so on point. Well, duh, they have like millions of dollars to do that. And then you're this small little business and you have no budget and you have all these ideas and how do you implement that? And how can you hire people? And it, it's very complicated, especially at the beginning, and I also said, like you know we you need to give it time, and it's it takes time to build out a brand
1: and that's so difficult, especially I mean, we can push a button and get a pizza delivered or get a car delivered and to that idea of wait for it kind of thing mm-hmm. to, for a brand to develop is I think even harder these days than anything else um, I'm looking at the the Now in Rio uh, logo. And I'm just, because I just recently went through this with a refresh on our end. Um, How how many conversations did you have? How many different iterations of that logo did you and the graphic designer go through?
0: So she was very cool and she got it on the first try. (laughs)
1: Get
0: out. Uh, Yeah, I know. That's why I hired as my graphic designer.
1: (laughs) That makes sense. Also unfair. (laughs) Unfair. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I kind of told her I was like elegant and like, I just kind of ex- explained everything to her and she nailed it um, really well. And I loved, I loved what she did with it. Um, but the problem actually for me was the colors. And we took a l- like long time to understand the colors because The thing was that now in Rio, Swim is inspired by the Carioca style of living and a Carioca is a person who lives in Rio de Janeiro. But the way that I wanted my brand to be represented is different than how people think of when they think Rio. So you probably, when you think of Rio, it's like carnival and lots of pictures and parties and drinking. But my Rio and the Rio that I experienced when I was living there um, is very much like 1970s, 80s, Bossa Nova, Ipanema, Sunset Colors. And so I was really torn between like what I wanted to portray and whether I wanted to go with this idea, this international vision of what Rio is, and then do very bright colors or go with more mute, pastel, luxury type of muted colors. And that was like a huge struggle. I think that took me two months just to decide the color palette, actually.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense. And you're absolutely right. When you mentioned Rio, the the images of Carnival or bright colors immediately come to my mind. And thinking about um, what your logo would have looked like if you went that route, I actually think it would have been a disservice because then suddenly I'm in that carnival with you. I I have all these other images. Suddenly I think this could be a travel thing or Mm. something about costumes, whatever it might be. Um, you know, the life of Jeff Baker (laughs) going through the world. Um, but seeing the color palette now—is that my palette? Very bright. Yeah, <laughs> that's your brand, Jeff. That's it. that's basically your brand. Yvonne, um, can
2: you brand? Can you brand me? I'd, I'd rather. I think <laughs> I'm going to
1: take. I think I'm going to
2: take your opinion.
1: No offense, Francis. No, that's fair. You should. <laughs> um, but I I agree. The color palette is is muted, but it, mm-hmm. it says something else, which yeah. I think is important, especially when you have Rio in there. So I think it was, it was two months well spent, honestly, probably wasn't fun. (laughs) No, (laughs) it wasn't.
0: But I think that a lot of people don't realize is that like brand, um, figuring out your logo and your colors is at the end. And the thing is the reason why I kind of moved away from this idea of like these bright colors and this Rio is because the people that I wanted to focus on or my target audience, my customer persona were not those people right? My customer persona was like a 30s, 40s, 50 year old woman. She wants luxury. She wants comfort. She's sipping cocktails. Like it was just the way that I had per like looked at and thought of my persona, the colors wouldn't match that persona. So I think that's what I realized. And I think one of the biggest things that I learned from marketing um, as the marketer was that understanding your customers is so important because it really touches on every single thing that you do, not only in the branding process, but in the marketing process.
1: I am going to guess that this is where Jeff wants to go. But just thinking about you just launched now now in Rio, mm-hmm. correct? It's still fairly new. Yes. Um, Jeff is always interested about how businesses start and, and and how they evolve. So talk through that a little bit. You know, how was how was audience and customer research done? And, and how is the business going now? And what, 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 are the, what is the future of now in Rio?
0: So one of the things that, you know, I've never actually launched a product before. And I, it was just a whole like different experience for me because I've never done a fashion. I've never done a product. And just learning how to do it took a year and a half. And I did a lot of mistakes because I didn't understand the whole process. And so I did things that I shouldn't have done at the beginning. Like, I think in my podcast episode, I said that I spent, I think, $500 to create patterns for my bikini. And I never used those patterns because I then realized how expensive it was to actually like print on, on fabric. And I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lot of mistakes. But the the thing that I did that I actually really, really... Like, recommend. And I think it's competitor research and it's audience, like understanding your audience, et cetera, et cetera. And I was very sneaky. I followed a lot of my competitors on Instagram and I think I spent like six months watching their stories, looking at their posts, reading their comments and releasing really and what people were talking about, what they were posting. I actually found my manufacturer that way. Actually, <laughs> I was uh, watching a competitor that was also creating her thing or her swimsuits in Lisbon and she was at the manufacturer and tagged them. And I was like, oh, I'm going to find out. I'm going to click here. And I was like, oh, look at this. I'm going to go contact them and see what, (laughs) if they can uh, help me out. And I mean. that's, that's how I learned. I learned a lot from that. And, and I think it helped me a lot to understand what people were wanting. And I even went into Facebook groups and I started asking questions and stuff like that. And I, I talked to people as well. Like I sat down with people who I thought were my customer personas and I asked them, like, do you like your swimsuits? What, do you, what don't you like about your swimsuits? Uh, what would you want to have differently? And then at the same time, I also use myself as an example because I am, you know, a 34-year-old woman who also, you know, loves, uh, loves to wear swimsuits. And so what are my pain points and what are my issues? And from there, like, I just started developing it. But COVID was so horrible in the sense that, like, everything that I was trying to do just wasn't working out. Like everything took so much longer. We were supposed to do a photo shoot, but shoot now in Rio and sorry, in Rio de Janeiro that did not work out. Um, My photo shoot literally was the day before I picked up my, my, my bikini pieces. So on Wednesday, I picked up all my bikini pieces on Thursday, did the, the, the shoot. And then we went into lockdown for a week and a half. So it was like, literally like run, run, run. Yeah.
2: Jesus.
0: Yeah. I, it was it was crazy
2: the, the interesting part to me is the amount of patience that you needed yeah. in order to do this market research you know because I that's admittedly I'm the worst at that branding stuff um, because it's just so I'm so numbers driven
0: yeah
2: and it, a lot of it's qualitative you're following these brands stalking these brands right and <laughs> you're trying yeah. to figure out w- what kind of things they're doing it's not very quantitative right so you're just kind of getting a feel for it
0: mm-hmm.
2: is it would you would that be the best what you're asking a lot of questions being patient just observing over time and trying to get a feel for what you need to do
0: yeah i mean i feel like i work well like that i'm a very kind of i'm the type of person that looks observes and stays quiet and then makes some like some like some answers from that I I look and I say like oh look at this they're doing this and look this person is really like you know and then I just kind of get a feeling for everything the the thing is with competitor research people do it very differently like some people do it very methodically like they'll have a google like sheets and they'll like write everything down and they'll do like very very much like that I was not like that I didn't write anything down I just kind of watched listened and made like a decision from that
2: (laughs) So you did it based on feel. Yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me. I would be in the spreadsheet and I would kill the entire spirit of it. I would shoot it right in the heart. There would be no heart in my brain. <laughs> that's impressive. I need that. Like I need to, I'm, it. I'm kind of come in. Uh, you said, listen, and don't speak much. I'm like shooting and then asking questions later and like hoping for the best. <laughs> it's, it's, I I definitely admire that.
0: I mean, I think it takes more time because like I said, I did like five or six months of just watching and and listening and, and talking and just kind of gathering information. But like, let me give you a little background. I have a PhD and so I did a master's and a PhD and I did a lot of research and I did my research this way as well. I do a lot of like, when I was doing all of my research, it's me going to these places and observing and it's more like an anthropological, like, way of doing research where you put yourself in the situation and you watch people and you see how they interact and observe how they speak and interact. And then you take that and you, and you kind of break it down and you make some, some sort of, you know, a hypothesis or whatever from, from that. And that's the type of person that I am. And that's why I think that like also my academic background makes me this type of a researcher.
1: I mean, that seems like almost the perfect way because There is so much emotion, you know, built into branding and especially, you know, I mean, we're talking about fashion. I mean, there's emotion involved with that Um, to be able to kind of, you know, um, pull that and have it connect to something, um, Yvonne, that you that you experienced, that you observed. um, I think that's what makes the brand stronger, you know, not to, you know, Jeff, charts (laughs) and numbers will always be important. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's. We don't need it at
2: all. Yeah,
0: but they have
1: their place. They have yeah. their place. Admittedly, this is a missing skill
2: set for me.
0: <laughs> but you all, you also have to realize, like, swimsuit is a very intimate thing, right? Swimwear is intimate. Like, w- the way that a woman wears a swimsuit, she has to feel a certain way. She probably has a lot of issues that, like, for example swimsuits is almost like you're naked, right? Because it's very little that you have. So there's a lot of emotional, there's a lot of emotions in that. And so understanding how it feels or what are people's fears or what, you know, how they want to feel when they have a swimsuit on or what are the issues. I I think it's really interesting to, you can only get that if you observe, right? And you don't, you just kind of sit back and see what people say and how they, how they talk and the way they talk. Um, about swimwear or about their swimsuits and then kind of just take that all in, you know? That's
1: a good point. And uh, it's a very good point about how intimate it is in terms of clothing. Um, you know, have my wife recently just kind of went through uh, just trying to find new swimsuits um, for, for this year. And when I was reading through the story of, um, you know, now in Rio, a lot of it, I kind of, I remember her saying like, this doesn't fit or I don't like this, I like this part I don't like this other part. And why did it even make this like this sort of thing? (laughs) Um, And granted, I mean, I, I, you know, recognize her frustration. I don't know how it feels and I don't know how I can't relate. But seeing he seeing that experience that she had and then reading your story on the um, now in Rio site, um, I could tell it was built in truth because my wife literally was going through that same process Um, for you personally. The I mean, this is the big thing. Do these feel different to you? Are the are these the swim? Is this swimwear exactly what you wanted? Are you getting closer to it? Talk about your talk about the product.
0: So I once, and I also say this in my podcast in one of my episodes. Um, I once heard someone say, "If you are one hundred percent happy with your product, you have launched too late." And I was like, "Yes." That's amazing. I think everyone should, you know, everyone should listen to that because you will never be 100% happy with what you put out um, at the at the first go. You're always going to be tweaking things. You're always going to get feedback from customers like, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. And you can change things as long as it's not a complete disaster. Then you're good to go. And I'm not saying that I'm, oh my gosh, 100% love them, but I got pretty close, I have to say. And my manufacturer kind of hated me at the end because we had a problem with the butts, <laughs> um, the coverage, the butt coverage. And I was like, you're not nailing the butt coverage because he kept on making it smaller and smaller. I'm like, no, we're looking for like full coverage. I think he tried, he wanted to kill me at the end. <laughs> and I had, it was, it's, that's the only thing that I kind of would change is like the butt coverage is still not my thing because I feel like, especially with Europeans and Portuguese, like they don't like too much coverage. And, and so it's always like, you know, very little coverage there. And I was like, no, 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 more coverage, more coverage. <laughs> but overall, yeah, we, I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> so too.
2: Real quick, to refine your product, your your process sounds like you just keep asking questions over yeah. and over and over again of your customers, right? And that's, that's basically you're just charting all that feedback in your brain. And then eventually you say, okay, more butt coverage that people have spoken. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right?
0: Yeah. So I, I always ask feedback even because a lot of the first, and this is for a lot of people, your first customers are probably going to be people you know. They were mine as well. They were people that your friends, your family, they're one people that want to support you. And they are the easiest people to ask feedback from because they will be honest. You know, you'll say to them, like, tell me the truth. What did you not like? And they'll tell you. And so I messaged all of them. And I was like, you need to be honest with me. Like, what do you not like? What do you like? And then I kind of make note of that. Um, And so for me, it's been almost 99% positive. And so that is also a nice validation because people, no one's really saying like, well, I didn't like how it's this. No, everyone's like, oh my God, I love it. It makes me look amazing. Uh, It slims me down. It gives me figure. It hugs me in all the right places. So I'm like, oh, okay. Amazing. This is great. So I mean, all of that watching and observing, I think paid off a little. (laughs)
1: Where, where does the drive come from? Because as Jeff mentioned, you know, there's a lot of patience yes. you know, that you have to have, especially with watching and observing. Um, and you had also mentioned, you know, you had never launched anything in fashion or been in this world. There has to be a lot of drive there. So I guess two questions is where does the drive even just come from the creating a bathing suit, some, a, a, a fashion product, but then just starting your own thing? You know, it doesn't matter what it is, the podcast, this, this business, you know, um, being, a sp- uh, being a speaker in various things, where does that drive for you come from?
0: First of all, I think that's just how I'm wired. <laughs> I've always been the type of person that takes on way too much on her plate and then gets overwhelmed super quickly. <laughs> but, um, for me just in general, I, so I was at this crossroads, I think three years ago where I was trying to launch a lot of products or sorry, a lot of um, small businesses or businesses. And I was kind of giving up super quickly. Like I was launching it and I was like, meh, I I don't really, I'm not really into it. And I kind of had to stop and say like, why am I not feeling the passion to be able to actually stick this through? Like what's, there's something missing. And so I actually ended up doing a seven week personal development course. Um, And it was like a personal development course where you really started to ask yourself questions about what your passions were, what your hobbies were, what can you monetize, what your values were. And it was a lot of digging, a lot of like, I think I spent two or three hours almost every single day writing out questions, thinking about myself and what I really loved. And I realized that marketing was not really igniting my fire. There was no real passion, like marketing for some other people, because it didn't allow me to be as creative as I wanted to be. Because a lot of the times in marketing, you know, it's very, like, I love being creative, thinking of ideas. And a lot of the, the things that I was doing was just like, oh, post this picture on social media, or like, let's look at sales, or da da da. And I didn't have that, you know, creativity that I was yearning for. And I didn't have the freedom to be able to do whatever I want, you know, like a crazy idea, let's do it. Um, and so I kind of was like, I actually want to do something physical. I was tired of being behind the the computer. I love interacting with people. I love speaking to people. I want to do something physical. I would love to actually have a store in the future because I love that element of like talking to people, explaining what I have, really showing that passion, you know? And so from that, I, I also knew like, I love I love the the ocean. I'm scuba diver. I love swimming. I love the ocean so much. And I've always had issues with swimwear. I think I've always, you know, I'm I'm not a small, like zero size girl. And I've always had issues with, you know, how they're done. And Rio de Janeiro was the worst because I could never find swimwear that was like (laughs) that was comfortable. And I, I used to surf a little bit and that was also a absolute disaster. And so it just kind of all of these little pieces that didn't seem like anything apart, when you started putting them together, they started to make more and more sense. And it was that passion that kind of like drives me. And I mean, I launched it and I'm still going at it. I'm, I'm really like excited to see what's next. And I think in my first episode with the branding lab, I I said, like, you need to find your why. In branding, it's always talking about what your why is. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? And money should never be the reason why you're doing something. Like money is great. And obviously you want to make money, but it shouldn't be the primary reason why you're doing something. It's because you are passionate about that thing. And and I think that's super important for for anyone when they're starting a business, because that's what can what's going to drive you and what's going to like put you for pull you forward during the ups and downs of entrepreneurship.
2: Was it hard to go through that course Were you were you challenged by the questions Were you're questioning your career, questioning your life choices all at once. Okay. So
0: I cried a couple of times.
2: I, that's what I'm, (laughs) that's kind of what I'm, uh, what I'm getting to, like, what kind of like, what what kind of questions would they be asking that really like challenges your status quo? Like if you have an example of like one or two questions that really, hit home.
0: So I don't remember it exactly, but I remember things like look back on your 12 months and like, what did you love doing? And what would you like, what did you regret doing in your last 12 or six months? And if you could do it over, how would you change that? Um, Like questions or, and then it would ask questions like, if you had, um, if you, if money didn't matter, but you still had to go to work every single day, what would you do? Like it didn't matter. The money didn't matter. You just had to work every single day. Or like you have, um, you have like a 7 million or $10 million. Um, what would you do in the first like year? How about the first, the next five years, the next 10 years? Um, then it asks your values. Like what are your top 10 values? And then how do you rate your top three values? Um, and values, you know, like family, money, um, all of that. And you have, and then you have to explain like, why do you value those things? Um, and I, I like, yeah. And I think those are the questions I think that really kind of popped out for me. Um, but it was a lot of like soul searching of like looking at your past, looking at why you were unhappy. Like if you are unhappy, what, what makes you unhappy and why, you know, were you sad or what, what's going on or, and, and, and trying to figure out how, you can change that.
2: Yeah, that's deeply personal work you have yeah. to go through to get there.
0: Yeah. But I think it's super important. I mean, nowadays, like we talk about mindset a lot in business and I think mindset cannot be disconnected from business because if you have a crappy mindset, then it's going to show up in your business. Um, and unfortunately, what I've learned, because I, I, I started doing mindset work and then I stopped and it's really not a, like, fix it and forget it kind of thing. It's a very ongoing, gotta do it every day kind of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I also imagine that process that you went through is very aspirational. I mean, you're, you're faced with some hard truths, and it's very sad. You cried, like you said. But it's also aspirational, right? Because you're thinking about what does the next year look like, and what does it look like? If you had, like you mentioned, if you had $3 million, um, that's like an exciting conversation to have in your head, right? Like you could think it could be anything and you're just like being a kid again and you're choosing a new career, you know, like I want to be a fireman kind of conversation.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, because a lot of the times when people think of like money, it's like you get a lot of money, you want to travel, but you're probably going to travel for like the first year or two. But then after five years, what are you going to do? And after 10 years, where do you see yourself? You know, you'll have to look at it in the long term. So do you invest it? Do you start a business? How does that look? And I mean, like crying doesn't have to be a pot, like a negative thing. I mean, crying is a really great escape and like, just like release of everything, you know? And I liked it. I enjoyed like that release and it's a release. And it, I think you need to feel all the negative to get to the positive. And it's like a yin and yang kind of thing. And I mean, I think it was very cathartic. It was very like, it was just really nice to to go through it. Would I do it again? I'm <laughs> not sure I would want to go through it again because it was exhausting. It was mentally exhausting, but I guess I will have to because uh, it's an ongoing process. But
1: <laughs> There's that line in Fight Club where there's freedom and letting go, um, where everyone's basically crying about, you know, just their choices or whatever. And even just um, on hearing those questions, I'll be honest. I mean, those, those kind of rocked me a little bit. And I haven't even had time to process everything that's going on in my brain. But considering, you know, what to think about if the, if money wasn't an issue or if you suddenly had a lot of money and if I really thought about it, what would I do? I've, I'm kind of curious, you know, where would I go? What What path would I be taking? And I'm also wondering, why don't they do this in college? This would have <laughs> been so much more helpful 20 years ago. Yeah. And I feel like I wouldn't have wasted my 20s. I would have found another right. way to waste my 20s. But I, <laughs> Seriously, man, I could have used these questions.
0: <laughs> but, you know, I just remember something else. They do something called like the wheel of life where you have like um, aspects of your of your life, like money, relationship, atmosphere, friends, business. And you have to rate it from a one to ten. And then you have to say, like, how do you feel right now in a happiness scale from one to being like completely miserable and 10 as like ecstatic? And then you say, like, why do you feel that way? And what is missing? And what can you do to be able to raise that number in the few, in the next six months, in the next year, in the next blah, blah, you know, which I thought was really great, too, because you're like looking at your, your life and be like, well, money wise, maybe I'm not at the exactly how much I want to be making, or maybe my relationship isn't that great because everything's connected. Like that's the thing that's crazy is like money, relationship, atmosphere, they all influence each other. So if you're low in one aspect, it influences the other aspects of your life.
1: Makes so much sense. And and it was nowhere near this, but the closest I ever got to even thinking about life or even career stuff was Honestly during the pandemic year, yeah. where suddenly everyone had to pause and everyone was home and even now i my 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 approach to work has completely changed like i I honestly enjoy being home and it goes back to family. I have two young girls nine and eight nine and seven, and I have been able to spend more time with them. I was more involved with school work and then this light bulb went off last year thinking I could have missed all this. Like yeah. I wasn't missing everything, but I was missing enough. And then it would have been I I blinked and they were 15 and hated me. So, um, which I know is coming. It's already coming. Um,
0: <laughs> it's inevitable.
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but that that's the closest. But I could, I could absolutely see the worth in this. And I don't know, Jeff, I think you and I should do this together. And then let's just see how weird it gets, man, <laughs> because...
0: I think it'd be cool, well, like well, an episode in the Wheel of Life, figuring out our wheels of life.
2: I, I like the uh, interrelation of different aspects that you're talking about because it's, it's not like you can just have three aspects of your life. There are tens, and one of the two, it just kind of doesn't compartmentalize that well. You know, things bleed over into one another. Your mood bleeds over from your work to your personal, all that stuff. Um, so that yeah, that that resonates. That makes sense with me, but. Talking to you today, um, you're glowing when you talk about this stuff. You are <laughs> got to be a nine or a ten feeling right now, right?
0: <laughs> That's the thing. Like, uh, I feel still a little bit imbalanced, to tell you the truth, and I'll be transparent about that as well. Um, it's. The business has been very well, but I mean, we don't get consistent sales. For example, um, we get really positive feedback, but it's also pretty hard in terms of getting, you know, consistent sales. It's also the budgets and money is always a problem because you know, you it's a constant investment and reinvestment into your business, which is really hard when you're bootstrapped and working just one person on a whole business. So I glow about this because I'm passionate, and then. The thing is that like even during my dips, which I do have dips, um, it brings me out of my dip because I remember that I love what I do and I love, I believe in where it's going to go. But I think that's why a lot of maybe business people get like entrepreneurs, at, at least at the beginning, get really depressed is because they see all of these people saying that they explode. And it doesn't happen. And you start questioning yourself like, oh my gosh, why isn't my business exploding? Like, why am I not getting six figures in three months? Why is that not happening? And then maybe you start doubting your product or who you are or what everything, you know? And I had to step back from that and say, you know, I have to look at the long term. I have to look at the two, three, four year, like, you know, the, the it's, everyone says your business will become profitable after three years, usually. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, I do have my dips. I do have my successes, but I love my product and I love my business and I believe in it. And I think that's what's the most important.
1: I I wonder just from our past, when we, when we talked about the hats and you had focused so much on branding, I wonder now if you have to put on the marketing hat a little bit. A hundred percent. You know, so <laughs>
0: hundred percent.
1: I mean, you have a great problem. You have a product people like, you have great feedback. You, you believe in the brand, which is, you know, even more where the authenticity comes from. Um, more people just got to know about
0: it. That's the thing. Like, uh, it doesn't, it never, it never ends. Like that's the thing. Branding is a constant thing. Marketing is a constant thing. And then you have to think about like all of the little aspects of marketing. So you do like influencer marketing and then ads and then blogging and then data. And it's like, as one person, I can see if you don't even have any background in marketing, how overwhelming it can be to be like, Oh my gosh. And now Instagram's saying like, we're not a photo platform we love videos. And you're just all like, Oh my God, I have to do videos. I'll of everything, it's just like it's crazy, and I, that's the thing. Like it's just you got to laugh sometimes because it's just if you don't, you're gonna cry.
1: <laughs> well, Jeff, this is why you have a job, right? You should make her life easier. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. In
1: theory, yes. That is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> oh, um, I know we should wrap up soon, mainly because of me. I have a hard stop, but. One last thing. I mean, thinking about your everything that we talked on—the business, the podcast—how do you unplug? How do you find that space where you're able to kind of take that breath? Maybe, like you know, recoup some of the energy. Um, how do you do it? What What do you do?
0: So I don't, and that's my problem. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's an odd, this would have been the most honest podcast
1: we've had. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: So I, the reason why, so I'm going to wrap up obviously, but, uh, cause Jeff said like how you, I I'm glowing and I am glowing. And I say that I'm having a dip because I've burnt myself out effectively, um, at this moment in time. And I'm feeling that a lot. And so I'm having at this moment, a little bit of a dip where I'm just like, too overwhelmed. And I'm, I'm not feeling, I am passionate, but I'm feeling a little bit like I need to disconnect and I need to force myself to disconnect from everything. And it's so hard because things like, especially if you're a small business, that's just doing everything yourself. Once you you're gone, you're like, that's it, right? No one's there to pick up anything. So it just kind of stops. And that kind of gives you a lot of anxiety. Like, Oh, if I walk away for two weeks like that's it nothing happens you know because I'm the one doing it but I I'm the type of person and I have to really like actually take the time because I burn myself out and I'm finding myself like this and I just I feel not the best I'm not my 100% top type of person like uh, person and Yeah, I'm still learning that I'm still learning to juggle because I take on too much. And then I burn myself out. And then I stop working for a little while. And it's a little bit of a roller coaster. And it's really hard to find a balance for me. Because I'm the type of person that's working at like Sunday at like 10pm. I'm like, I need to I need to do an email. I need to answer this. I need to do this, which is not very healthy.
2: If this is you in a dip, we have to have you on an upswing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we'd be able to handle it.
1: (laughs) Good point. That's a good point. But I think the podcast needs it. (laughs) (laughs) I will. And I I don't know if this will help, but I will say just going through this conversation and thinking about the history of what you did, I think you should take comfort in the fact that you did spend all that time observing and thinking about, you know, brand and what your story was going to be. Because while you're right, if, you know, small businesses, if they take any time off and it's a one person shop, yeah, they're going to, you know, it will be harder on the way back. But a lot of small businesses don't have a strong brand story and they don't have consistency in terms of brand story and product and what they're trying to do. And I think you do. And so thank you. I think you should give yourself a break and remember that past Yvonne did all this work for what, five, six months. And there's a reason she did because it's it's that strong and it can sustain you taking a Sunday night off. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I think we're also way too hard of our, on ourselves. Like the that's world's true. not going to end if you take a Saturday and Sunday off for a couple of days just to relax, you know? I, I think that we're the, wor- we're our own worst critics. I think that's how it goes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So 100%. But I'm learning. I'm learning to disconnect. I'm learning to relax. I'm learning to turn off the phone. You know, I really would love to do like a 9 PM phone off kind of thing. Weekends, phone free. I really would like to do that because we're way too connected and we need that, that digital break.
1: Too available. Yeah. So true. So true. Um, I'm with Jeff. This was great. I absolutely, we want you back because (laughs) um, it's rare. We get this kind of off. I mean, the fact that you said you're burnt out, I'm with you, man. I, I, we feel the same. So um, this was really great. Um, uh, tell our audience, you know, um, where to find, um, now in Rio and your podcast
0: perfect if you guys want to listen to my podcast it's called the branding lab podcast you can also find me at ivanivanescu.com which is my website and you can find me on twitter on and instagram at ivanivanescu and if you want to chat about oh and also now in Rio Swim is uh www.nowinrioswim.com so hopefully i'll be able to see you guys on one of those channels
1: absolutely and i think it's fair to say you got two new fans right <laughs> perfect right. so. absolutely
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much, Yvonne.
0: Bye. Bye.